Welcome to the Experience Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Kyle Brownlee. It's our prayer that this message is not only an encouragement, but a blessing to your life. Welcome everyone. So good to be gathered in God's house together. Also want to welcome all those joining us online uh, and say a special hello to all the men and women in our correctional ministry, which includes uh, all those joining us from the Belize Central Prison. We love you. We believe in you. We're praying for you. Come on, Defiance. Help me welcome our church family today. So good. So good. Well, today we are in week number three of a four-part series called It Is Written. And really, this series is, is all about helping all of us understand and know the Bible in a greater way. And, and uh, the kind of the, the goal of this series uh, isn't that we would just read the Bible more but that we would actually understand the Bible better. And the more we understand it, the more we would love it. And the more we love it, the more that we would live it in our everyday lives. And I just kind of want to jump into the message today because uh, just, a, just a little warning, it might be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose today because we are kind of going back to do a little Bible college. And if there was ever a message for you to take notes on, I know I said that last week, but this is really the one that you want to take notes on. And we have a great resource for you uh, through the Experience Church app. We put our notes uh, on the app every single week for you to fill in the blank, for you to write down things that God speaks to you through the, the message, and then you can save your notes on the app, or you could email or text your notes to yourself to go back and study later, or you can e even email or text those to a friend or somebody you think might need to, to read those scriptures, see those points, and maybe go back and watch the message. And so it's a great resource uh, for all of us to take advantage of. But today, uh, I want to I talk to us about why the Bible can be trusted. Why the Bible can be trusted and, and hopefully answer maybe some questions that, that you possibly have been confronted with in life or maybe answer some questions that you might have been battling and even struggling with yourself, maybe that you have. Like, like how do I know the Bible is completely accurate? H how do I know the, the Bible is 100% True. I mean, like it was probably it was probably perfect and right when it was written all those years ago. But but how do I know it hasn't changed? How do I know that it hasn't evolved? How do I know there's not mistakes that have been picked up along the way? And I mean, the Bible was written by men, and so uh, it, it's probably a, a good book of principles. But, but to, to be, it's just, it's just a normal book. It's, it's nothing special about it. And if, if you ever had questions, maybe been confronted with those questions, or maybe you've dealt with some of those questions uh, yourself, but how many of us know those thoughts and those questions 
will keep us from fully trusting and living our lives based on the truth of God's word. And so my goal today is to help every single one of us know that our Bible can be fully trusted and we can base and live our lives on top of it. I wanna start things off by taking a look at a passage of scripture just to kind of set the tone for our time together today. Most scholars believe that this was probably more than likely written by King David and it's Psalms 33 verse four. And he says, for God's word is something to sing about. Why, why do you want to sing about God's word? Because it's not a normal book. There's something, the Bible is alive. The Bible is true. The Bible is God's authoritative word to us. Therefore, I'm going to sing about it. And the reason why you would sing about it is because you've applied it to your life and you found out it works. It works in my marriage. It works in my own heart. It works in my finances. It works in my business. The Bible is alive and it works. And when I experience the life and the victory of the Bible, man, I want to sing about it. That's not even in my notes. We're just, we're just getting started. It goes on to say, he is true to his promises. And then everybody say this with me. His word can be trusted. His word can be trusted. And everything God does is reliable and right. I want us to have that same confidence King David had when he wrote this, that we would have that kind of confidence when we think about the word of God. And so, so how do we know that the Bible can be trusted? Well, today I want to give us uh, something that is known as apologetics. In fact, just so we all understand what uh, apologetics is, let's, let's first define it. Apologetics is basically a branch of, of theology devoted to the defense of the divine origin and authority of Christianity. So we're talking a little theology today, and let me throw out just a little disclaimer. Uh, I'm not a great apologist. I have some different gifts and strengths in ministry and as a pastor, and I wouldn't necessarily say that this would be one of them. And so what I'm going to do today is really give you, uh, pass along to you research that's been done by others who are much more skilled in this uh, area than me. And, and, but if you do like this kind of stuff, if you want to do a deeper dive in this kind of uh, area and this theology, it's, it's not really my thing, but but if you'd like to do a deeper dive, then one of the greatest apologists uh, in our generation is Josh McDowell. And he, he wrote an incredible book uh, called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And I would highly recommend it to you, especially if you'd like to go on this deeper dive of apologetics and this theology. And in fact, I'm going to be using some of the resources and the information in that book in the message today. But, but what I want to do in our, our, our brief hour and a half time together is just give us seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. Seven reasons. We got a lot of work to do, a lot of ground to cover. Seven reasons the Bible can be trusted. If you're taking notes, uh, you can write this down. The first reason the Bible can be trusted is, number one, is because it's historically accurate. This, this point really addresses uh, those who might say, you know, you know, the Bible has some great principles in it, uh, but the stories... Man, the stories are just far-fetched. The stories are, are, are made up. They're, they're just a bunch of fairy tales. Like, like for, for example, Jonah getting swallowed by a giant fish. I mean, come on, that's, that's a little far-fetched. Or, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace and not only surviving, 
but coming out, not even smelling like smoke. I mean, come on. That's just a made-up story. Even Noah and the flood and the ark and the animals coming in pair. I mean, come on. That, I, I have a dog. Like, that just is not going to go down. Like, that, that, it's a great story, but it, it's made up. There's some great principles in the Bible, but, but it's just, it's got some fairy tales. It's got some made-up stories. Well, the only problem uh, with, with that maybe argument is that history is proving the validity of the Bible. Let me say it this way, that the Bible is not just full of some great principles, it's historically accurate. Well, how do we know that the, the Bible is historically accurate? Well, the same way we would know any other piece of history is accurate. It's got to go through three Test. And so let me just give us those, those three tests that, the, that any piece of literature would be taken through. The first test that it would be taken through is, number one, eyewitness accounts. See, what a historian would do would go back and they would go in and they would ask the question, is this written down by someone who saw it? Or is this secondhand or thirdhand? Or is this like a legend and written down a hundred years later? What's important for us to know that the Bible was primarily eyewitness accounts, which is why it's good history. You see, Moses was there when the Red Sea was parted. Moses walked over on the dry ground, and then he wrote about, right? He wrote about it in the Pentateuch or the Torah in the first five books of the Bible. He saw it, he witnessed it, and then he wrote it down. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho came crashing down, and then he wrote about it in the book of Joshua, right? The disciples were there in the upper room, and they saw the resurrected Jesus, and then they wrote it down, and we read about it later. The second test that the the Bible or any piece of uh, literature or history has to go through to make sure that it was historically accurate was number two, is to be it, that it was recorded and copied with extreme care. It's important for us to know that when the scribes would copy the scriptures, it had to be exact. Like there were strict rules the scribes had to follow. For example, they copied the, 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 the verses letter by letter instead of word by word. And the reason is to put this kind of in modern day terms, have you ever been like texting someone and then your, your fat thumbs just kind of hit the wrong letter, right? And all of a sudden the autocorrect changed the entire word and then you sent that message onto someone and that word changed and it changed the entire text. Have you ever done that? Well, they wanted to make sure that that didn't happen and that's why they copied it and recorded it with extreme care. For, for instance, if, if the Jewish scribes messed up when they were copying the, the Bible, they didn't like cross it out. They didn't like put the real thing above it. They didn't try to fix it in some way, but instead the entire scroll would have to be thrown away and they would have to start over from the beginning. And even to, to kind of, uh, we had this amazing, probably one of the greatest archeological discoveries in the history of the world is the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is a, a phenomenal discovery that, that actually a little shepherd boy, the story is over in Israel in the caves of Qumran. I've actually had the chance to, to visit the caves of Qumran a couple of times. And the story is this young shepherd boy was tending to his sheep, his flock, and one of his sheep wandered off into a cave. And so to, instead of having to go up and get him, he thought, I'll just pick up a rock and I'll chuck it in the cave, 
try and scare the sheep out. Well, as he does, he throws the rock into the cave and he hears this like clay pot break. He hears this sound like that doesn't sound normal. So he goes in to investigate and there he discovered the greatest archeological discovery in the history of the world, all of these clay pots. And in these clay pots contained different manuscripts and different books of the Bible, all the Old Testament. In fact, the only copy or the only book of the Old Testament that wasn't in the Dead Sea Scrolls was the book of Esther. All 38 other books of the Old Testament were contained in these clay pots. And and, and what was interesting is up until that discovery, up until that point, the earliest manuscripts or literature that we had in the Bible came 900 years after Jesus died. Well, they were able to date these scrolls uh, to be actually a thousand years prior to the earliest manuscripts that we had of the Bible, which is pretty amazing. And because of, of like DNA testing, because the scrolls were always written on and used, uh, the, the scrolls of the day were, were animal skins. And so we were able to go back and because of DNA testing and because the scrolls were written on animal skins, we were able to piece together all of the Dead Sea Scrolls to make sure everything was right and perfect and you know how much discrepancy, you know how much difference that thousand years made in what we had previously to the new Dead Sea Scrolls that we had? The only difference, the only discrepancy was there was a few misspelled names in the Bible. Like they they messed up on uh, Jehoshaphat or Methuselah. Like we'll give him a little grace, right? (laughs) Other than that, other than that, there was no discrepancies. There was no difference. A thousand years of recording and copying the Bible, they came to find there was no difference. It proved the validity of it. It proved its its accuracy. And then the third test they would take any piece of literature through um, to prove that it was historically accurate is, it's kind of like the Dead Sea Scrolls 3 would be archaeological confirmation meaning that they're still excavating and discovering places in the Bible and proving its validity. For example, the Pool of Siloam where the, the blind man was healed. Yeah, we discovered that. Parts of, or, 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 parts of King Herod's temple. Yeah, they, they, they dug that up. Those, those places have been found. All these places that are talked, in the, talked about in the Bible, we dug them up and we discovered they're more than just a story. It's not, it's, not, it's not made up. It's not just a, a fairy tale. These, this, is, this really happened. These places really exist. In fact, the book of Acts is, is all about historical accuracy. Luke was, was not only a historian and a doctor, uh, but he's also the author of the, of the book of Acts. And he talked about 54 cities, 39 countries, and nine different islands with complete and total historical accuracy. And so we see the Bible not only passes these three tests, but excels above them. That's how we know the the first reason we can trust the Bible is because it's historically accurate. The second reason, if you're taking notes, is, is number two, we can trust the Bible because it's scientifically accurate. Now, if people say that the Bible is, is scientifically inaccurate, then, then either A, they have never studied the Bible, or B, they don't understand science. Because the truth is God set up the laws of science and then he made sure that his word doesn't contradict the laws of science. Now, obviously the purpose of the Bible was, isn't for it to be a, a science book. You don't study the Bible to, to learn how to, to build a, a rocket, 
right? It's not, it's not, it's not, it doesn't use scientific uh, language in it, but, but not once in the 1,500 years that, that it was written does the Bible contradict science. In fact, the Bible is always ahead of science. Like, there are things the Bible says are true that we've just discovered 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. Well, the Bible talked about it 1,500 years ago. You know, Johannes Kepler, uh, the famous astronomer and mathematician, said this. He said, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. In other words, God established the laws of physics, and then we discovered them. God established the laws of biology, and then we discovered them. Like, one of the reasons the, the Bible can be trusted is because it's scientific, uh, scientifically accurate, and the reason why it's accurate is because the laws of the universe were invented by God. And it's important for us to, to know that, that science is always changing. Science is always evolving, but how many of us know truth never does? Truth never does change. But for, for example, uh, for, for us adults in the room or watching online, uh, more than likely the science textbook that you used when you were a third grader is no longer being used today because the things that book taught are no longer even believed to be true. Like, like things we used to believe, we've learned more about, and the science has evolved. This happens all the time in medical science, in the medical community. In fact, I was just talking with my uncle a few weeks ago. Uh, he had to have a, a valve replaced on his, on his heart with a pig valve. And this is the second time he's had to go through uh, this type of procedure. But 10 years ago, when he had to have this valve replaced, they actually cut open his chest and, and replaced it that way. And it took him three months to recover. Well, he, when he went in to have this valve replaced, uh, he was preparing to have his chest cut open and all those things, and then he discovered that they no longer do that. They no longer believe that that's the best way to, to change out a valve in the heart. In fact, this time, they went up through his leg, which I don't even know how you do that, and it was, a two, it was actually a two-hour procedure and then he had to lay on his back in the hospital for eight hours just to make sure everything was taken care of. And then after 10 hours, he actually drove himself home from the hospital and he was on light duty, but he was back to normal the same day or the next day. Incredible. Why? Because it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. Like how many articles have you read that now say something we thought was good for us, uh, now we, we found out? It causes cancer, <laughs> right? We said, that was good for you. Now we're like, no, that causes cancer. Don't do that. Like what we, what we thought was fine for pregnant women to do 10 years ago, now we're saying today, pregnant women, do not do that. That's not good. Why? Science is always evolving and changing, but truth never does. God understands things even when we don't, and his rules, his laws don't ever change. So I'm 148 verses 5 through 6 says, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command, and then they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. You know, one of the, the reasons why we know that the Bible is not man-made, that, 
the Bible came from God, that even though man might have held the pen, God still wrote the words, is, is because of what's not in it. Like if this was a, a book that, that man made, then, then you would assume, you would think that the Bible would contain scientific facts from that time period when it was written, but they're not in the Bible. For example, a thousand years ago, everybody believed that the earth was flat. It wasn't until Columbus and a few others came along that we discovered and that we realized, well, the earth isn't flat, it's actually round. It's a sphere, it's a globe, it's a ball. Well, you would have expected the Bible to, to say it be, that the world was flat because that's what people believed and that's what they thought back when the time the Bible was written. But there's not one verse in the Bible that even says that. In fact, what's interesting is the Bible actually says the opposite. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 says, God, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. What's interesting is the, the Hebrew word for the word circle there in that verse literally means sphere, and it's where we get our English word globe from. Does that sound familiar to, to anybody today? Well, when this was written, people didn't believe that that was true. But God said it was true, and all these years later, we discovered, well, wait a minute, it is true. God knew what he was talking about from the beginning of time. For, for thousands of years, people believed that, that the earth was held up by something. In fact, if you were Greek, in, in the Greek culture, they believed that the earth was held up by a giant named Atlas, right? But how many of us know Atlas didn't make the Bible? even though the entire New Testament is written in the Greek language. But he didn't make the Bible because it's not true, right? The Bible tells us that, that Moses was, was skilled and schooled with, with the, the wisdom of, of, of Egypt. We know that, that Moses is uh, Pharaoh's right, stepson, right? Um, or his, his Pharaoh's daughter's son, right, down the river and, and all that. Well, we knew he grew up getting the best education in and, and all the land of Egypt. He knew the science of the day. He knew what they believed. And, and we know the Egyptians were just brilliant. I mean, the pyramids, they were incredible architects and, and engineers and astronomers. I mean, they were brilliant, but they were dead wrong when, they, when it came to what held up the earth. They believed that the earth was held up by, the five, by five pillars. Well, we know that Mo Moses, right, was school. He, he had to have known the science of the day, and yet there's no mention of the five pillars in the Bible because we know that's just flat out not true. In fact, the, the oldest book in the Bible, we know that the Bible is not in chronological order. And, and the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And take a look at what Job says in, in Job chapter 26, verse 7. It says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Who told Job? How did he know that? Everybody knows the earth is flat and it sits on five pillars. Well, maybe Job didn't write the Bible. Maybe, maybe God did, right? Psalms 12, verse 6 says, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Come on, how many of us know that God's word is flawless? And if we'll believe it, if we'll stand on, on top of it, man, it will change our lives forever. 
The third reason the Bible can be trusted uh, is number three is it is prophetically accurate. This means the predictions in the Bible always come true. The Bible is filled with thousands of prophecies where, where God says, said, this is going to happen at, at, at such and such time in such and such way. And so many prophecies have been fulfilled exactly as God said it would. Now, there's still some that have yet to be fulfilled, but there are more than a thousand prophecies in the Bible, over 300 of them are about Jesus alone. And what's interesting is these prophecies aren't vague. They're very detailed. Like they talk about where Jesus would be born, where he would live and grow up, how he would flee Egypt, even how he would ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. And just to show you a few of the prophecies in the Old Testament and even how they kind of mirror and were fulfilled in the New Testament, I have a few I wanna show you. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14 Isaiah prophesies that a virgin, the prophet Isaiah prophesies that a virgin will give birth to God's son. Then we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, that Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. Then in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah prophesies that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. And then in Luke chapter 2, we discover that Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem and she gave birth to a Son, And we see these prophecies fulfilled. Even Isaiah chapter 53, the entire chapter is about the suffering Jesus would go through. And it was written 600 years before Jesus would even be born. And so we see all these prophecies coming to pass. What's interesting, even King David in the Old Testament prophesied about the crucifixion of Jesus before crucifixion was even being used as a form of punishment. It didn't even exist at the time that King David prophesied about it. Now, how did David do that? How did he know that the Savior would be crucified? How did he know that he would be punished in that way? Well, maybe, maybe David's not the author of the Bible. Maybe, maybe God wrote it. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For prophecy has... Prophecy never had its origin in in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus made this, this statement in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. Jesus said, but but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. Well, once again, the only scriptures at the time that Jesus made this statement was the Old Testament, right? And so, in other words, let me just say it like this when it comes to uh, the prophetic accuracy of the Bible. It takes more faith to believe the prophecies of the Bible are coincidence than to believe that God planned them. Because the evidence is overwhelming. There's no way it could have happened unless there was someone above God himself writing the Bible. Are you getting anything today? The fourth reason the Bible can be trusted is number four, it is thematically unified. This means that it has the same theme throughout the entire book from cover to cover. It's the story of redemption from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And the star of the story is Jesus. 
And, and the reason why this is such a big deal, and we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, is that it, it would be one thing if there, was, if there was one writer. Like one person wrote the Bible, it would be easy for them to keep the same theme throughout the entire book, right? The entire 66 books that make up the Bible. But like we discovered last week and talked about last week, there was 40 different writers, over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents in 12 different countries in three different languages. And, and they all wrote the same story with no contradictions. Like how in the world, there's no way they could have collaborated to make sure that they were all writing the same thing. Well, how does that happen? It happens because there was, there was 40 writers, but there was only one author of the Bible, God himself. In fact, Jesus even said this in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, referring to the Torah or the Pentateuch or the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, and then the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In this verse, just so you know, Jesus is once again making the point that the entire story of the Bible points to him, that Jesus is throughout the entire Bible. In fact, I want to kind of give you a resource that might be helpful to you. Someone recommended this book to me several years ago, and I just found it to be extremely helpful in understanding the Bible better. And so for those of you that might want to dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures, this book kind of gives you the, the cliff notes uh, of the Bible, kind of gives you the cliff note version of every book of the Bible and kind of helps you under, understand what's going on in each book of the Bible. And it was actually written by uh, one of Billy Graham's former intercessors, and it's called What the Bible is All About by Dr. Henrietta Mears. What's cool about this book is not only does Henrietta in her book give this explanation of each book of the Bible, but in each book she points out where Jesus is in that book, where you can find Jesus in Genesis, where you can find Jesus in Isaiah, where you can find Jesus in Joshua, which gives us that whole, whole picture of what this theme is all about, right? From cover to cover, the story of redemption, all focused around one person. His name is Jesus. We talked a lot about that last week. And then the fifth reason the Bible can be trusted is number five is, well, it's trusted by Jesus. Jesus trusted the Bible. Now, some people might say, man, I love Jesus. And I love the New Testament, but the Old Testament, I'm not sure about. I mean, that's the Old Testament, that's the Old Covenant. Well, if we trust Jesus, if we love Jesus, then we have to trust the Old Testament because Jesus trusted the entire Bible. He trusted the Old Testament. In fact, he even said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus is saying, man, no, I'm holding tightly to the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, man, the, the Bible is going to stand the test of time. It's going to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. And Jesus believed and trusted the Bible. 
In fact, let me just point out just some of the things that Jesus talked about believing uh, in Scripture. He believed in the prophets. He, he believed in, in Noah. He, he believed in Adam and Eve. Jesus believed in Sodom and Gomorrah. He believed in Jonah. And what's interesting, those last four uh, are the most disputed stories in the entire Bible by people who say, man, this, the Bible is just a bunch of fables. Uh, they're good moral stories, but they didn't really happen. Yeah, well, Jesus believed they happened. Jesus said that they were true. You know, St. Augustine made this statement. He said, if we believe what we like in the Bible, but don't believe what we don't like, it's not the Bible that we trust, but ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've kind of discovered that my emotions and my opinions aren't always trustworthy. And the reality is, if we're not careful, we can, we can turn Christianity and even following Jesus into what we want it to be instead of the way God intended it to be. And that's why the Bible is so important. That's, that's why we are desperate for God's word because it's a roadmap. It, it's a guidebook. It gives us guide rails on how we should live our lives. And unfortunately, you see some of the church, some Christians today who have gotten away from the truth of the Bible and they're living their lives based on what they think, based on what they feel, based on their opinions. Listen, I don't have any good opinions. I don't have have any good ideas. I need to come underneath the authority of the truth of God's word. You tell me how to think. You tell me how to live. You tell me what decisions to make, right? That's why the Bible is so important. The Bible is true. The Bible is right. The Bible is pure. The Bible is perfect in every single way. And, and I might not get it, all of it, and I might not understand all of it, but how many of us know there's a lot of things in life we don't fully understand? Like, I don't fully understand digestion, but I'm still going to eat. Come on, somebody. That don't stop me from eating. I'm, I'm going to trust the Bible because Jesus trusted it. And honestly, that's all I need. Me personally, that's all I need. Jesus trusted it. Oh, it's good for me. He said it was true. That's all I need to hear. Jesus said it. Yep, I'm going to do that. Oh, Jesus came. Yep, I'm in. I don't need to figure it out. I don't even need to agree with it. I don't even need to understand. Jesus said, that's all I need. I'm in. And then the sixth reason, guys, as we continue to drink from the fire hose today of why the Bible can be trust. I know it's a lot of information, but, but I don't think we talk about this enough. And hopefully today you get a, a greater understanding of the word of God and, uh, and recognize the importance of it in all of our lives. So the sixth reason the Bible can be trusted is number six, it has survived all attacks. Which before we even break this point down, I think it's important for us, us to ask the question, why was it attacked in the first place? Why aren't other religions attacked like Christianity? Why is that? I mean, could it possibly maybe be that the enemy of our soul wants to keep us as far away from truth as he possibly can? I mean, you need to understand that the Bible, the Bible is the most despised, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever. And it survived it all. The Bible lives on. It's not going anywhere because it's not man-made. God wrote it, and because of that, it will stand the test of time. 
First Peter chapter one says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Everything will, will pass away, but God's word, and God's word's not going anywhere. It stands forever. You know, there was this famous uh, French philosopher named Voltaire, or Voltaire, or Voltaire, not sure. He actually, he actually had like eight or nine names, uh, and they said, dude, you guys got to pick one. So he went by Voltaire. He was actually brilliant. Uh, he was actually brilliant. Uh, he was an atheist, but he was brilliant, and he made this famous statement in the 1700s. He said, within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. Well, the only thing that's been forgotten is this quote, because probably none of you have even heard it before, right? <laughs> what, and what's funny is that after Voltaire died, his home became the place for the French Bible Society, and they sold Bibles out of his old home. Take that, devil! I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You can't make that stuff up, can you? <laughs> oh, poor guy. But on a serious note, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves this question and that is, what is going to be the final authority in my life? The word or the world? Now, notice this question says authority. Like, what has the most influence? What do I allow to, to dictate my thoughts and my decisions and how I live my life? The word or the world? Therefore, now, I'm, I'm going to learn God's word, I'm going to love God's word, and I'm going to live God's word. Which means that there are sometimes God's word might, might say something that I don't feel like doing. Maybe sometimes God's word says, says something that, that maybe might make my life uncomfortable. Or maybe it says something that I don't fully agree with. And, it, and it's in those moments that I'm going to say, no, 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 this is Right? This is truth. I don't have to understand it. I don't even have to agree with it. And I don't even care if it makes my, my life more comfortable or, or less comfortable. I'm going to align my life up with what God's word says. Can I just tell you, if we will come to a point like that in our lives and say, I don't care what I feel or what's going on, I am going to align my life up with the truth of God's word, I promise you, your life will never be the same. Because this last reason, the seventh reason that we can trust the Bible is, is actually something that we can put to test in our own lives. Like we like to say around here, man, give us a year of your life and just run the play. Go all in. Like, like be here as much as you can. Make church a priority. And this time next year, we'll look back and go, man, I'm, I'm completely different. Why? Because this can be the best year of our lives if it's the best year spiritually. Just stand on the word. And so the seventh reason the Bible can be trusted is number seven is because it has transforming power. The Bible is, a, nothing changes people's lives like the, like the Bible does. Man, I've seen alcoholics, I've seen drug addicts get their lives sober, not just sober, but they have purpose and meaning and dignity and fulfillment and all they did was start applying the truth of God's word to their lives. 
just simple devotion and obedience to God's word. They just started applying it, reading it, and just doing it. And all of a sudden, little by little, step by step, they look back and go, what changed? I just, I didn't just read God's word. God's word read me. I didn't just, I didn't just read it, man. It, I got it in my heart. I based my life on, I've seen the most selfish, self-centered people read God's word apply it to their lives and become the most caring, compassionate, selfless, and others-focused people I've ever met. How many of the Bible changes people you think could never be changed? I'm one of them. You know how many people thought, who's a pastor now? What, huh? He's he's doing what? Because the Bible has transforming power. Jesus said this in John chapter eight, verse 31 and 32. He said, if you hold, everybody say hold. If you hold to my teaching, if I hold on to it, can I I challenge us to take this year and grab on to God's word? Because when we do, man, Jesus said, that's who his true disciples are. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And the truth, man, will, will set us free. It'll, how many know, it'll heal our marriage. It'll change our finances. It'll change our families. It'll impact our businesses. It'll change our hearts. It will change our lives. All this from a book. But it's not a normal book. It's not man-made. It contains the words of life. It's this roadmap that God has given to us. And if we'll just have this this faith the size of a mustard seed to say, you know what? I'm just going in. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to grab onto it. I'm going to base my marriage. I'm going to base my relationships. The way I talk, forgiveness. I don't want to forgive that person, but the Bible says it. So even though I don't want it, even like it, or even comfortable with it, even agree with it, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to have this simple obedience and devotion to God. And I'm just going to hold on to God's word. I'm going to line my life up with him. You watch watch. I'm believing 2022 would be a year of breakthrough and deliverance and freedom and purpose. And I mean, we're fasting where I right now. Come on, two weeks down, one week to go on this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Come on, let's grab a hold of God's word. Why not? Why not? Why not God do that miracle in our marriage? Why not God do that miracle in our hearts? Why not? Why not us? Why not defiance? Why not experience? Why not this community? Why not? just had that faith to grab a hold of God's word. Amen. All right. Would you pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to encourage this, man, if you're, if you're ready to, to put God's word in the rightful place in your life, to say, God, I'm, I'm coming underneath the authority of your word, not the world, the word to give you authority, God, of my life. Align my life up with what you say. If you're ready to give God's word, the Bible, its rightful place in your life, with every head bowed, every eye closed, as a sign of surrendering and yielding to what God says, but you just lift your hand to heaven. God, I'm, I'm, I'm placing myself underneath your word. I'm yielding to your truth. I'm gonna grab a hold of it. I'm gonna read it like never before. I'm gonna learn it. I'm gonna understand, I'm gonna love it. God, I pray 
Lord, as we come before you and we open up the truth of your word, as we read the scriptures, God, I pray that you would illuminate. I pray that you would, you would give us wisdom and insight and revelation, God, that the words would fall off the pages. We just open our hearts to heaven and say, God, speak, Lord, I'm listening. God, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers too. That you would give us the courage to align our lives up with the truth of your word and do what it says. To, today, God, we just, we just declare that we're gonna align our lives up with your word. Our relationships, our hearts, our finances, our businesses, we're gonna line it up with your, your word. And we're gonna watch you do what only you can do in our lives as we just stand upon truth. Pray that you give us the courage. Pray you give us the, the wisdom. Pray you help us have the faith to just step out and trust you. As we continue praying together today, maybe you would say that not only do you need to give the word the rightful place in your life, but you really need to give God the rightful place in your life. To put him first in your heart. Surrender and yield to heaven and say, God, here's my life. Maybe you've come to church. Maybe you've been dating God, been around God, but you've never surrendered to God. You've never said, here's my heart. I want to give you that opportunity today. Wherever you're at, maybe you're watching online or joining us in person. Maybe you're sitting in a prison cell right now. It's time. It's time to yield your heart to heaven and say, God, here's my life. I don't, I'm done just knowing about you. I want to know you. I want to encounter your presence and your love and your grace and your forgiveness. To take away the shame and the guilt for me to quit trying to do everything on my own and earn your love and thinking that I have to perform to get people to accept me. I just yield to heaven. Wherever you're at, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, would you just lift your hand to heaven and say, here I am, God. I want to have a relationship with you. I yield to heaven. I give you my life. Would you pray this with me right where you're at? Say, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love that never fails. Thank you for believing in me, even in those moments I had a hard time believing in myself. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for your, your patience. Thank you for being a good father. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Uh, nobody loves me the way you do, God. And today, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. God, I want to know you. I want to encounter you. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and uh, that's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall
for joining us. We here at Experience Church love you and are praying for you. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our hope.